0: Okay, let's turn to John, chapter six. John, chapter six. Today, we're gonna talk about being convinced of God's provision. Being convinced, or you could say being persuaded of God's provision becoming fully persuaded, John chapter 6, and verse uh, 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And then it continues on with the account of the 5,000 being fed, which was probably really more like 20,000, but we refer to it as the 5,000. And in verse 14, it says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. So verse Two refers to the healing of diseases classified as a miracle. and it refers to supernatural provision also coming under the same category uh, as a miracle. Now the disciples' literal New Testament in the Greek, uh, these two verses, the word miracle is actually the word sign it's a sign. So whether it's healing in a person's body or if it's God providing in such a way that you could not make it happen yourself and he does it in a way that there's no doubt, no one could deny that this is of God and God's behind it, both of these are considered as a miracle and a sign. So it's a sign to those who don't know the God we serve that he's alive and that there's no other God like him. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, it says that Jesus showed himself alive in many infallible proofs. So there was no question. In other words, there was no question that God was behind these uh manifestations and demonstrations of the Holy Spirit in the book and in the book of Acts all these miracles were infallible proofs that that Jesus was alive now we just uh, decreed our uh, word from the Lord from two thousand and fifteen concerning an increase in manifestations visitations and demonstrations of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ uh, In this ministry, we've been proclaiming, decreeing, and expecting it in our daily lives. And in this meeting, uh, Brother Hagen used to say, many people miss the supernatural because they're looking for the spectacular. Uh, For example, you know, in Mark chapter 11, when Jesus and his disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Bethany and Jesus stopped and he cursed the fig tree. And then the next day they came walking back by the very same fig tree again and only one person in the whole group noticed that anything had happened to that tree. Nobody else even noticed it. Peter is the only one who said, Look, Master, the fig tree that you cursed is dried up. So it was not spectacular, but it was supernatural. There weren't fireworks. There weren't lightning bolts. There wasn't a choir of angels that appeared, you know. It was, uh, it was so uh, subtle that Peter's the only one that even noticed anything that happened to that tree. But it was still supernatural. And sometimes it's easy for people to miss their healing because if if a person assumes that all healing is instant, and many people do, and I'm not talking against that at all. We're believing. We're believing for suddenlies and instant healings. We're believing for, uh, you know, we just decreed. An increase in instant healings and notable miracles. So we're believing for that. But when people um, are so expecting instant healing, uh, they're expecting a lightning bolt or an angel or, uh, you know, uh, uh, flashing lights or something, they can miss the supernatural. Because healing is still supernatural, I don't care if it happens in five seconds, five days, five weeks, five months, or five years. It's still supernatural, even if it's not spectacular. Um, a couple of years ago, I was when I was working in Southampton. Peter and Ann asked me over to their house one evening during the week, and they were having this uh, home group in their home, and they invited me over, and uh, Ann wanted to have a testimony evening, and what she was expecting was that people were going to testify to a healing, or an act of favor, or a material or financial blessing, or protection, or something like this, and what happened was they started around the room, and every person begin to tell how they came to the Lord. They begin to tell how they got born again. And they moved to the next one and they told how they got born again. And they moved to the next one and they told how they got born again. And I kept thinking, okay, the next one is gonna have a testimony of favor or blessing or healing or something. No, we continue to go around the room and some of these people have been saved 15, 20, 30 years. And not one of them could share one thing that God had done for them that they could give testimony to And 15, 20, and 30 years, except they got born again. And that was the end. And, uh, you know, people... Many Christians are, uh, they're prepared, you know, when you get born again, you're prepared for life in heaven. But most Christians are not prepared for life on earth. And that's why we're having teaching, amen? That's why we're having teaching. And and the, many people live their entire lives and and, you know, well, when we get to heaven, it's going to be great and, you know. But, uh, so when this meeting was over with and everybody left, Anne was quite disappointed in, in how it turned out. You know, because that's, that's not what, uh, you know, she was expecting, celebration, rejoicing, giving glory to God, and that's not really what happened. Uh, you know, you, you go into uh, many churches today, and you stand up and you say, My God is able, and he will, and see what kind of response you get. You probably get, you know, uh, well, thank you, brother, but, uh, you know, we don't do that in our church, you know. (laughs) So um, let's write this down. Boldness is the result of being convinced. Boldness is the result of being convinced. Or you can say persuaded. That's just another word. So when you know that you know that you know something, you can be bold to say it. You can be bold to declare it. You can be bold to decree it. Hallelujah. Now, when we get born again... As you know, we change kingdoms. Colossians 1:13 and 14 says we have been delivered out of the dominion of darkness and we have been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. So that happens at the new birth. We, we change kingdoms. We're not in the devil's kingdom anymore. Now we're in the kingdom of God. But... What we also need to do, and this is something I'm just kind of learning myself, we also have to change systems. We've already changed kingdoms, but now we've got to change systems because most Christians live their entire lives in the kingdom of God, spiritually, but operate in the natural world, in that world system out there that has been built and dominated by Satan. And we're used to operating in and living in that system in the natural. Instead of switching to God's system of provision, we've been relying on the world system to provide for us. And that's not really where we're supposed to be and I believe in these end times we're going to have to be able to to leave reliance on that world system for what we need and we're going to have to be able to tap into God's system for what we need so uh, we we want to get to the place where we're not limited to a paycheck okay now you know this takes a while to get your faith to that level. But, uh, you know, I, I you know, you hear people say, well, that car costs 50,000 pounds, you know, like they can't have it. Why do they think they can't have it? Because they don't have the money for it. But in the kingdom of God, the currency is faith. Amen. So if you ain't got the money, you can still get the car if you got faith. Amen. Because our currency is not money, our currency is faith. Now, the Bible talks as much about God's willingness as he does his ability. You remember the story in Matthew 8 where the man with leprosy came to Jesus and said, I know you can heal me if you will. What did Jesus say? Well, I'll pray about it. Is that what he said? Yeah. No, he did not hesitate. He said, I will. He didn't pray about it. He didn't say, I'll have to to ask God. Uh, What about the centurion? The centurion came to Jesus. My servant lies home, sick of the palsy. Uh, Jesus did not even wait for him to be asked to come. Jesus said, I'll come. He didn't even wait to be asked he did not hesitate he just said i'll come and the centurion said no it's not necessary just speak the word only that's all you have to do and my servant will be healed what about mark chapter 5 jairus he said come and lay your hands on my daughter and she will be healed and she will live and the bible says and jesus went with him he did not hesitate he he uh didn't say, well, I have to pray about it or I have to check with God about it. He, he, when he asked him to come, Jesus went with him, no hesitation. And Hebrews 13:8 says, Jesus Christ the same today, uh, yesterday, to, today, and forever. So if Jesus was willing to do it then, then He's also willing to do it for us. When you make bold statements of faith in front of some people, you just draw their unbelief. Either they don't know what the Bible says, or they disagree with what the Bible says. And when somebody doesn't know what the Bible says, that's easy to fix. You know, we, they, they can be taught the Word of God, but when, they, when they've been taught the Word and they say, no, I don't agree with that, that is a whole lot harder situation to rectify. That is almost impossible to, to rectify. Sometimes people believe religious tradition more than they believe the Bible. Sometimes they believe their relatives more than they believe the Bible. Sometimes, you know, people believe what their grandmother taught them, and their grandmother may have been taught wrong. You know? because they didn't have access to what we have access to. On the other hand, people in some other generations, they they rec- they would receive healing and things like that much quicker than people today do. So uh there's a story, you know, about uh this newlywed couple. They got married and the the wife was was cooking the dinner and um uh, she had this roast, and she sliced the end off this roast and put it in the pan to go in the oven. And her husband was watching all this, and he said, why did you cut the end off that roast before you put it in the pan to put it in the oven? And she said, I don't know. That's just the way my mother did it, and, and I never questioned it. I, I just did it because my mother did it. She said, I'll call her and ask her. So she calls her mother and says, why did you cut the end off the roast before you put it in the pan to cook it? She said, I don't know. That's just the way your grandmother did it, you know? And uh, I'll call her and I'll ask her. So she calls the grandmother and says, why did you cut the end off the roast before cooking it? She says, Oh, that's because the pan was too small. (laughs) So that's just an example of how things are passed on from one generation to the next, and nobody even questions it. And folks, the same is true with religious tradition. People follow these traditions generation after generation. That's just the way we do it in our church and nobody questions it, you know? So it's very, it's very dangerous. Uh, everybody who ever stepped out in faith, believing in God for something, we all wish it would happen a little bit faster, don't we? <laughs> we, all, we all like the suddenlies, and I say keep believing for the suddenlies. Don't let go. Um, write this down. One of the great characteristics one of the great characteristics of real Bible faith. One of the characteristics of real Bible faith is the ability to recognize. God's ability to provide for His own, especially when the circumstances appear to be impossible. One of the great characteristics of real Bible faith is the ability to recognize God's ability to provide for his own, especially when their circumstances appear to be impossible. This is the kind of faith Abraham demonstrated when his circumstances looked impossible. Now let's turn to Genesis chapter 13. Watch. Genesis chapter 13. Watch. Uh, God tells uh, Abraham that his seed will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And then in Genesis 15, verse 2. Verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. So God's telling Abraham that he and Sarah are gonna have their own son and he will be the heir. And then God takes them outside and he shows them the stars and he says, so shall thy seed be. Now at this point, Abraham is 75 years old. And in spite of what God has told him up to this point, he is still not convinced that this is gonna happen. Okay? Now, how do we know that he's still not convinced that this is going to happen? Because in the next chapter, in chapter 16, we have the birth of Ishmael. Okay? (laughs) So that's how we know that Abraham was not yet convinced that God was going to do this through Abraham and Sarah. Uh, you know, Abraham is mentioned among many other great men and women in Hebrews 11, what we call the, the heroes of faith. And the reason that their exploits were so remarkable is because these people did not have the Bible to read like we do. They, the New Testament did not even exist. They could not, Sarah and Abraham, could not pick up the Bible and read where this had ever happened to anybody ever before in human civilization. They couldn't pick up the Bible and read where somebody 75 years old could have a baby. So you can see how their faith was limited because faith comes by hearing the word of God. They couldn't turn in the Bible and read where it had ever happened to anybody. They just had to believe God. There, there was no written word. So, here we are today, 4,000 years later. We have the word on CD, MP3, tablet, mobile phone, desktop, laptop. And we're struggling to believe God. <laughs> you know, that God, what God has promised He's really serious about it and it's really true and it really does belong to us and that He can provide the impossible. So, we can't be too hard on Abraham and Sarah, can we? I can just see Abraham and Sarah up in heaven saying, Hey people, if we had what you had, we would have had no problem. You know what I mean? They're probably up there thinking, What are you people doing? You know what I mean? Praise God. So when you hear somebody say, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but they are not convinced. Amen? They're not convinced. Now, Abraham and Sarah were humans just like us. And uh, what, what do people do? What do people do uh, when they're not convinced that God will keep his word and do what he said for them? They do do what we would do. Most people would do. They sit around their living room in the evening and they talk about it and they discuss it. I just can't figure out how God's going to do this. Maybe he's going to use my cousin over there. They've got a lot of money. Maybe they'll give us some money. Maybe he's going to do it this way. Maybe he's going to do it that way. And they rack their brain trying to figure out how God's going to do this. And they talk about it and discuss it. And I'm sure Abraham and Sarah did the same thing. They sat in their tent at night and they discussed over and over and over how on earth is God going to give us a son. We're 75 years old. And so Abram, Abraham would pace back and forth in his tent, racking his brain, how's God going to do this? So one day, Sarah said, uh, I was praying this morning, and I believe God spoke to me, and I know how he's going to do this. He's going to use my servant, Hagar. And um, Abraham, the father of faith, did not say, Get behind me, Satan. You have not heard from God. Abraham said, That's a wonderful idea. Sweetheart, why didn't I think about that? Why didn't I think of that? That's what Abraham said. You know, I believe you have heard from God. Now, you cannot find one miracle in the Bible that ever came to pass as the result of human reasoning and logic. You cannot find one miracle that ever came to pass as a result of human reasoning or logic. And when people are not convinced about God's word and they don't exercise the fruit of patient endurance, they oftentimes lean to the arm of the flesh and they produce an Ishmael like Abraham and Sarah did. And people uh, will produce an Ishmael house, an Ishmael car, Ishmael holidays, Ishmael credit cards. And, you know, they get tired of waiting and they go out and they, you know, deal with it in the natural and we'll just get this, you know. And then, because God's not in it, they struggle to make the payments every month. They struggled to make the car payment. They struggled to make the house payment. They struggled to pay their credit card bills because God wasn't in it. They got impatient and they thought, we'll help God. And they go out and they turn to the arm of the flesh. And this is what Sarah and Abraham did. They leaned to their own understanding and they produced an Ishmael. And Galatians 4, Uh, Paul refers back to this, Galatians 4.23. He writes, Ishmael was of the flesh. So, in Genesis chapter 16, Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now, between uh, Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 17, Thirteen years go by. There's 13 years between those two chapters. Which chapters? Genesis 16 and 17. Yeah. So in Genesis 16, Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now 13 years later, in Genesis 17, Abraham is 99 years old. And God comes and he speaks to him again. And this time, this was not exactly a friendly conversation. <laughs> because God is kind of giving him a reprimand. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine going 13 years and not hearing God. I mean, that in itself is just, woe. But anyway, God appears to him. Again, and in verse 1, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Now the the, uh, word Almighty God in Hebrew is the word El Shaddai. El means strong one. Shaddai means the breasted one. This describes God as the strong nourisher, strength giver, satisfier, and all-bountiful, the supplier of the needs of his people. So in the Old Testament, every time God revealed another facet or another uh, facet of his character or his nature, a name came with it, uh, Jehovah-Jireh. We we say Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Actually, it doesn't actually mean that. It means the one who sees, the one who sees ahead, the one who sees in advance, and provides. Um, for example, Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And the people said, oh, God heals. He just revealed another aspect of his nature or character. Jehovah Nissi. Oh, the Lord will give us victory over our enemies. So every time God showed them another facet of his nature and character, a name came with it. So when God said, I am El Shaddai, I am God all-sufficient. He was saying, Abraham, I don't need your help. (laughs) So that's what he's saying. All I need is your faith. God tells him again, you will have a son, and it will be through your wife, Sarah. And it is through Isaac that I'm going to establish my covenant, and uh, he will be a mighty nation, Israel so the uh, voice translation chapter 17 of genesis 1 says when abram was 99 years old the eternal one appeared to him again assuring him assuring him of the promise of a child yet to come you could say convincing him convincing him of the promise of a child yet to come. Let's turn over to Romans 4. Romans 4. Paul picks up on this. And he's referring back to this point in Abraham's life when he was 99 years old. And in verse 19, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, Paul's description of Abraham's faith at 99 years old, here where he says he considered not his own body, he was strong in faith, he was fully persuaded. This description of Abraham's faith at 99 years old is much different from Abraham's faith at 75 years old. So something happened during that time That convinced Abraham that God was going to do this. He considered not his own body now dead. Now at the top of of the page in my Bible, in Romans 4, this is what I've written. He did not stagger or waver from what God said because he did not consider other things. In other words, he quit being indecisive and he quit looking at other things and he quit trying to figure out other things and he quit looking at all the other options in the natural he did not consider the natural it's only confusing when you consider things that you should not consider You are tempted to waver when you consider the other options. So when when God told them again that they were going to have a son, Sarah laughed. And God said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's say that out loud together. Is Is anything too too hard hard for the Lord? Lord? So at 99 years old, Abraham quit considering his natural circumstances and his options. At 99, when God revealed himself as El Shaddai, Abraham got a revelation that God was the all-sufficient one and he was capable of transforming their dead bodies. And Paul continues in Romans 4, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith and from this point on Abraham never wavered again within one year Isaac was born and I believe what really convinced uh, Abraham that God was going to do this well I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself uh, let's, turn, uh, let's turn to Genesis 22, verse uh, 8, y- you know the story, God instructed uh, Abraham to take his son Isaac and offer him up as a sacrifice. At this point, Isaac is probably at least a teenager, maybe a young adult, so he's not a little boy. Um, And uh, so they get the wood, and they get the fire, and they pack up the donkey, and they take several servants with them, and they go to Mount Moriah, where God's instructed Abraham to offer up Isaac. And... um, so, they get, so when they get there, Abraham turns around to the servants and says, stay here, the boy and I will be back. So they take the wood and the fire and uh, they build the altar and everything's ready. And Isaac says, uh, father, where's the sacrifice? And then in a minute, the penny probably drops, you know, <laughs> that, oh, It's going to be me. You know what I mean? And you know how we talk about Abraham's faith. Have you ever thought about Isaac's faith? What kind of faith did he have to have? He had to know that man heard from God. You know what I mean? And he had probably seen his father do this before. So he trusted that his father had heard from God, but you, you climb up on that altar and he ties you up and he pulls a knife up and raises it, you better know he's heard from God, you know? So to me, Isaac had mountain-moving faith as well. And Abraham said to him, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Everybody say, God will provide. God will provide. God will provide. So Abraham didn't have any idea how God was going to do this, but he was convinced that God would keep His word and keep His promise. And I believe what really convinced him is that uh, blood covenant that Abraham, that God made with Abraham back there earlier, a few chapters earlier in Genesis, where. Uh, you know, God killed the—you know—he uh, killed the animals and laid the sacrifice out there in the blood. This whole covenant ceremony, every stage of it has real significance. And I believe when Abraham saw God's footprints walking through the blood of the of those animals, swearing to him that uh, through his seed, uh, I. Isaac was going to be his heir and through that seed he was going to become a mighty nation and I believe that's what marked his thinking forever and that's why he could turn around to those servants and say the boy and I will be back even if he did go all the way through with it which he was willing to do he was willing to go all the way through with it he believed that God would raise that boy up from the ashes. He was so convinced. That's why he said, uh, the boy and I will be back. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 19, bears this out. Let's turn over to Hebrews 11. This confirms that, because in Hebrews 11:19. 19, It says, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So uh, the, the contemporary English version says, because he was sure that God could raise people to life, this was just like getting Isaac back from death. Notice the words, because he was sure, in other words, he was convinced, having no doubt. He counted. He he counted. Uh, he already saw in his mind him and uh, Isaac walking back down that mountain together. He was so convinced. Now the word "convince" means it comes from a Latin word that means to conquer or overcome. So you could say, he conquered and overcame all doubt in his mind. <clears throat> and in Genesis 22:8, Abraham boldly proclaimed, God will provide and God did provide. And he established from that time forward, any covenant man or covenant woman Any seed of Abraham that will dare to believe that God is Jehovah Jireh in their lives, God will back his word and he will provide. Now let's turn over to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 8. For my, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my faults than your thoughts. The message translation uh, of that verse says this, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. The New Living Translation says, My faults are nothing like your faults, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So God has ways of providing for us and supplying our need that we couldn't dream up in a thousand years. We've been trying to pull God down to our level of thinking, and He's given us His Word, To pull our thinking up to His level. That's why we have His Word. If if we say what God says and meditate on His Word, it elevates our thinking up to where God's thinking is. Because that's the way He's seeing things. He's not seeing things in the natural. He's seeing things according to His Word. So God's first choice when it comes to providing us is to use people. That's why he wants to bless us, to position us to be a blessing. Now, uh, I like Jerry Savelle's definition of blessing, an instrument through which God's divine favor flows, bringing joy, happiness, and preventing misfortune in the lives of others. Uh, he'll deal He'll deal with someone to supply your need and bless you. And if they aren't listening or if they won't obey, He'll use somebody else who will. Same with you. This is the same reason God wants to bless you. So you can become an instrument through which God's divine favor flows to other people. Now the name Jehovah appears 31 times alone in the book of Job. The name El, as in the strong one, appears 54 times in the book of Job alone. Now if there was anyone who needed to know that God would come through and provide and deliver him out of this situation, it was Job. If anyone needed to be convinced that God was going to deliver him out of this, it was Job. We know uh, Bible scholars tell us that Job lived to be 210 years old. We know the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, so if, you know, so contrary to what many people believe, the 42 Uh, chapters of Job does not cover his entire life. It only covers about nine months to a year of his life. So, uh, the fact that he lived to be 210 years old, one year was practically just a bad day. You know what I mean? A year sounds like a long time to us. But, But if you lived to be 210 years old, uh, a year is just a bad day, really. And it was a bad year of his life. It was a bad year. I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, denying that. And, <clears throat> but if people come to me, <coughs> if people come to me and say, well, you just don't know how bad it is, and you just don't know what I've been through, and you just don't know what it's like. Hey, they are wasting their time. I know. I have been there. I have experienced it, and I have come out. Amen. I can tell you, I can tell you about more than one bad year. You know, I had one or two or three bad years when I first came here and yesterday when I was praying and and I began to recall all the things all the way God provided for me in those first few years that I was here and I began to recall and recount all these things and I thought Man, there's no reason for, I should I should never be like doubting God providing for me. I sh, by now, I should be convinced that God will provide for me as I begin to recall all these things he did. The work permit, which they told me three times I would never get. I'm still here. The, the permanent residence, the passport, uh, I, you know, on and on and on, and I'm not going to tell you about all of them, but I'm going to tell you about one or two. And um, uh, the first uh, convention of Brother Copeland's I went to, I didn't really have the money to go. And this, you know, everybody had booked all their hotels in advance, and this girl at church kept nagging me for several weeks, you need to come with us to this convention. In the na- I didn't have the money, and I was just beginning to learn these things. I was just beginning to get in the Word. And I knew about Brother Copeland. I had watched him on television America, but I didn't get it. I, it just went up here, you know. Anyway, last minute I went. It took all the money I had virtually to get a hotel because now the only hotels left are the most expensive ones, you know. So, um, anyway, this girl drove and I started thinking about it. I never liked for anything to eat. I don't know where this food came from. I mean, this girl just always had food. You know, she must have brought it with her or something. I never bought a meal the whole week I was there. And and I and I was given. Uh, I said, Lord, I'm going to give every time that plate goes by, I'm going to give something. Well, anyway, by the time the week was over, I had twenty pence left in my bank account. And folks, I'm telling you, no credit card, no overdraft, no welfare benefits, nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. I never heard of an overdraft till I came to England. I didn't even know what one was. I guess they have them in America. I have no idea. I never heard of an overdraft. No money coming from America. My parents were not sending me money. I didn't tell them what I was going through. I didn't tell anybody in my church. I didn't speak a word to anybody. One thing, I was so embarrassed about it, you know what I mean? Because I didn't grow up like this. And all of a sudden, I am plunged into this with no natural way to turn it around. My parents would have sent me money if I would have asked. I didn't want them to know. I didn't want them to worry about me, and plus, This is the bottom line. Okay, they might have sent me money one month, but that's just temporary. What am I gonna do next month? What am I gonna do the month after that and the month after that? I didn't want a temporary fix. I wanted a permanent, out of this curse, lack, insufficiency situation. And I knew somehow the answer was in this book and I just kept putting the word in and putting the word in and putting the word in. And this is what people need to understand about whether it's finances or healing or whatever. The change doesn't start out here. The change starts in here. This is where the change starts. It doesn't start in your bank account. It doesn't start in your body. You gotta keep putting that word in here And and eventually, the natural begins to change. Well, we came back from that convention. I had 20 pence in my bank account. We drove back to her house. I had no money for a train ticket. Anyway, I got back home. I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to church tomorrow. Money or no money, you know it's against the law to ride the train without a ticket, but I'm going to church. And if I get put in jail, somebody will just have to come get me out because I'm going to church. Plus, I had some duties there, so, you know, I had to be there. And at this time, they just set up those ticket machines in central London. So, I, we pull into Tottenham Court Road, and just as I stand up to get off the train, there are two ticket checkers standing on the platform ready to get on this train. The door is open. I stepped off, they stepped onto the carriage behind me. Okay, I made it through that. I got up to the ticket hole, still don't have a ticket. And I couldn't climb over the barrier, because there's two men standing right there, you know, checking tickets. So I thought, well, I'll wait till somebody comes along from church I recognize, and they can just loan me the money, you know. Uh, And so anyway, I'm just kind of standing around there praying and my eye caught a piece of paper on the floor across the room and I walked over and I picked it up and it was a ticket with the previous date on it. So that was no good. I threw it back down. I looked on the other side of the ticket hall and there was another piece of paper on the floor. I walked over and picked up that piece of paper. It was a ticket. A single ticket to Tottenham Court Road with that date on it. And I picked it up and I went and put it in that machine. The doors open and I walked out. Now that may not be a big deal to you because it doesn't involve hundreds of thousands of pounds. But I'm telling you folks, if you haven't got it, it's a big deal. you know what I mean? It's a big deal. And Angel dropped dropped the ticket. It's a big deal. One, the the, the, uh, o- the other one I wanted to tell you about, this was like the second year I was here. I wanted to go back to America for a visit. I had enough money, by this time I've been working a little while, I had enough money to buy a return ticket from London to Dallas. Well I don't, my parents don't live in Dallas, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm from Arkansas. But I said, Lord, I'm stepping out in faith and I'm buying this return ticket to Dallas. I did not tell anybody. I never told anybody in my church that I I was going through any of this. And nobody knew I was, because I've always had nice clothes, the Lord blessed me with. So to look at me, I mean, you know, I was doing good. And this is another reason why you cannot just go by outward appearances because, somebody may be dressed a whole lot better than you are, and they're not doing good. You know what I mean? So anyway, I stepped out and bought this ticket. Well, I went to the church prayer meeting on a Tuesday night, uh, which I always went to, near Waterloo Station. We had the prayer meeting. I was leaving the next day, and we went to the the street. We pushed the button, a group of us, and uh, we walked across the street, and we were all saying our goodbyes, and you know, I'll see you when I get back and all this. And this. the girl who had invited me kept nagging me to go to Brother Copeland's convention. She took my hand and she put something in it. And you know, we all said our goodbyes and went to the station. I opened my hand and it was 60 pounds. Now, when I got to Gatwick the next morning, I went straight to the American Airlines desk and I said, how much is a return ticket from Dallas to Arkansas? 60 pounds. (laughs) And I pulled out that 60 pounds and I said, I want a return ticket from Dallas to Arkansas. Now folks, 60 pounds is not 300,000, but it might as well be because if you need... 300,000 and you had not got it, and if you need 60 and you had not got it, what's the difference? You know what I mean? So even though this doesn't involve hundreds of thousands of pounds, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. And I mean, when I started thinking about that yesterday, you know, it just really encouraged me and I was just, you know, praising the Lord. But this was a bad year. For Job, and uh, he got into this situation. Fear brought Satan's attack on his life, and then he got confused. Uh, in addition to being in fear, he got in con- he got confused and began to wonder, you know, is is, is this ever going to come to an end? And his wife didn't help matters. She just said, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? So. Husbands and wives, you know better than to say anything like that, don't you? If you're going through a test and a trial, the last thing you want to say is, why don't you just curse God and die? That is that is not what you do. But um, and his his friends didn't help matters either. They threw in their three pennies worth of accusation and human reasoning. But in Job 42. Um, that's the last chapter in Job, right before you get to Psalms. Job gets this revelation of the Lord. And in Job 42, verse 1 and 2, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no fault can be withholden from thee. New Living Translation, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. The Message Translation, this is good. I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. So Job became convinced that God would deliver him and restore him. Did God do it? Verse 10 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job, When he prayed for his friends, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The message translation says, God restored his fortune and then doubled it. Uh, Now I'm going to read Job 5 verse 9 from the message translation. This is good. It says, after all, he's famous for a great and unexpected acts. There's no end to His surprises. I like that. That is really good. So at some point in our lives, we have to have an encounter with God that convinces us that not only is He able, but He will provide for us. Amen? He's Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees ahead, the one who provides in advance. He's famous for great and unexpected acts. Let's say that together. My God, my God, my God, is, a God of is a God of surprises. He's famous, He's famous. for unexpected acts. He's now, uh, I'm finishing up here and I just want to finish on a, a few points here about how to create this cycle of God's surprising you. You know, how, how do we get uh, God's surprises of provision, how do we get these to where they happen on a regular basis instead of just once every two or three years? Um, Proverbs eleven twenty five, 25, and this is also going to be our offering as well. So Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25 Uh, says, the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. The Amplified says, the generous man is a source of blessing and shall be prosperous and enriched. The NIV says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The um, American Standard. The generous man will be prosperous. He who waters will will himself be watered. Good news, help others, you will be helped. New English, a generous person will be enriched and the one who provides water for others will himself be satisfied. The bottom line in all these scriptures is this. Surprise other people. God will surprise you. That's what this scriptures say. saying. Now, I'm going to finish on this. I recently had my uh, windshield replaced because it had a crack in it. And a guy came and uh, he began to work on it. It was a beautiful day. So I stood out there with him just to chat. And I just kind of wanted to watch how he's going to do this. And we started chatting, and I asked him, you know, how long you have been doing this? And um, I said, well, have you ever thought about starting your own business? And he said, oh, well, this industry's pretty saturated. I don't think there's really much opening for that, you know? And I said, well, I'm a born-again Christian, and I believe, uh, you know, if God's with you, it's never too late, you know? And he said, well, I believe in God. Um, And then he went on to tell me that he had been taken into care when he was small. And uh, he was marched to church and all this, you know, and he, uh, he didn't seem bitter about it or anything, you know, and he didn't seem to feel sorry for himself or anything. And we carried on talking and I said, well, maybe you didn't get a very good start in life, but you can have a good finish. And I said, you know, you just need to ask the Lord into your into your heart. You just need Jesus in your heart. So he's listening, and we're talking, and I'm watching him and everything. And uh, he began to tell me that he had been fighting depression, and he didn't want it to affect his kids. And he was going to these help groups and all this. And I said, Well, you just need the Lord in in your life, you know. So we go on talking, and he's listening, and So uh, uh, after a while, um, the Lord began to prompt me to bless him with some money. So I said, I'll be back in a few minutes. So I went back inside, came back out, and he's finishing up, and I signed the paperwork and everything, and I put this money in his hand. And he looked at it, and he uh, looked at it, and he said, I can't take this. This is your money. And I said, yes, you can. I said, he said, no, I can't take this. This is your money. And I said, yeah, you can take it. God gave it to me. He'll give me more. And, and, and he, he kept saying, but I can't. I just, you know, I can't take it. It's too much. And I said, we're supposed to be living the Bible, not talking about the Bible. And, and I said, "God well, God gave this to me. He'll return it to me. I said, take your kids somewhere and just do something fun. He starts crying in the car park. He hugged me and he thanked me. And I said, this is one windshield repair you're never going to forget. And he said, I think you're right. Now, three days from that day, somebody handed me an envelope with 300 pounds in it. I surprised someone else. Someone else surprised me. Since then, a few months ago, the Lord prompted me to give somebody else some money. And you don't know them. as nobody in this uh, group. And they're not even Christians actually yet, but I believe the Lord's working on them. And that may be why he prompted me to do this. But anyway... I kind of got sidetracked on it because they're not people that I see that often. But anyway, the Lord brought it back to my memory that I needed to do this. So anyway, uh, and then I was satisfied that, you know, I, I kind of would have rather given it to a believer, you know, but I, it kept coming back to me. So I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to be fully obedient to this. I'm not going to try to figure it out. So anyway, I wrote a letter. I put this scripture in Proverbs 11.25 in there and I took it to them. They opened the envelope. I said, I've got a surprise for you. I said, the Lord's prompted me to give you, to bless you with some money. And they opened the the letter and they pulled out the money and and they were totally shocked and they said, this is too much. And I said, God is a too much God. And they were absolutely just thrilled. I mean, they were just smiling, you know. And, uh, and I've been, you know, they know I'm in the ministry. They know what I teach and preach. And um, so I said, I've surprised you. And I believe God is going to surprise me. A week after that, it came to my knowledge that the agency I've been working for missed paying me some payments last year. I don't know how it got past me, but anyway, the week after I gave those people that money, that agency put 1,800 pounds in my bank account. Now, you can't tell me that's a coincidence. Amen? Surprise other people. God will surprise you. Amen? And I said, and, and I said I'm going to t- when God surprises me, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you what he did. And I went back and I told them and I said the week after I gave you that money, somebody gave me 1,800 pounds and they said, "Wow, that's amazing." And I could tell that they were totally shocked. And I said, "It works. It works." And I believe God is working on those people. I believe, And I believe, you know, folks, this is why we preach prosperity. This is why we preach prosperity. We're supposed, people want to know God's alive and that He's real and He loves them. And, and if we're blessed, we can bless other people. That windshield man, that money could be the difference between him going to heaven and hell. That could be the difference. This is why we preach prosperity. It's not about what I got and all this stuff. It's about demonstrating the word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's say this together. My God is a God of surprises. He's famous for unexpected acts. And he's, and he's about to surprise me. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.